right. I have no voice. Um, so Lord willing, we'll make it to the end with the help of the Holy Spirit before I go hoarse. Sorry if I didn't get to chat with anybody before the service. I'm trying to conserve. I'm not feeling too great. But I really feel like I have a word for us this morning, and I wanted to give it because that's important. Um, so before we get started, I have uh, two kind of unrelated disclaimers I felt like I was supposed to share. And the first one has to do with the early church. And, you know, um, the early church, I saw um, a, a quote about this recently I, I loved. The early church, when they gathered together, they actually gathered together partially to mend each other's wounds. That the idea of being a disciple of Jesus, being a believer, was that we were out in our daily lives, interacting with people, sharing the gospel, bringing the kingdom, interacting with people who don't agree with us, who don't think like we do, who don't always embrace our perspective, and then we gather together with like-minded believers to heal each other up, to pray for each other, to prophesy for each other, to rip off labels that have been put there. And I, I felt like the Lord, when Brandon was sharing earlier, just was highlighting that for me to share because... Sometimes in American church, we show up thinking this is the place where we prove our maturity. We show up thinking this is the place where I look, I'm supposed to look like I'm a certain way. And then when we do that, we sometimes actually miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. So it's through the place of vulnerability, through honesty, through realness, that we actually get the help and healing that we need. So I just wanted to say that I know that sometimes when we do ministry times, it's uncomfortable because you might not want to be the person to raise your hand for whatever the case may be that God's wanting to do. But if we can begin to renew our minds and change our perspective of why we're doing this, we can actually catapult forward in the kingdom. Amen? So um, that's one. Okay, another totally unrelated disclaimer. Um, so last week I preached about prayer, and what I did was we brought together maybe eight or so verses on prayer. And this week I'm going to do something similar um, from a scriptural perspective. And I felt like I wanted to make sure you guys understood how we study the Bible and so it's not the best way to pull a bunch of scriptures out of their context to prove a point. So I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways we can preach messages. Sometimes we like to go through a book of the Bible line by line. Um, we try to do that at least once a year here. Sometimes we talk about topics that God's put on our hearts. Some of our messages are prophetic words. There's a lot of different styles in what we're preaching. But one of the styles of preaching is this is what God is saying. This is a place to equip you. And in that, I'm showing you in the Bible where there's examples of this theme. But I think it's important for us to recognize that um, if we're like cherry picking scripture, that can be dangerous. Amen. And so I just kind of felt like the Lord wanted me to start with that to say that I, my heart, our heart is that we would be very mature believers here, that we would be people who understand the things of God, how to interact with him, how to minister to other people. That's why we do so much equipping. And so I felt like you'd be doing a disservice to you to sort of pretend like this is just how we read the Bible. It's just, oh, that looks nice, and completely ignore the context that it was spoken in and, and make it prove my point. Does that make sense? Um, okay. Help me, Lord, with this voice. All right. <coughs> Today we're actually talking about our thought life, and um, I'm really curious to see what you guys are going to think about today's message. Um, but the National Foundation of the National Science Foundation, coupled with Ohio State University, put out a big study on the brain a few years ago, 
And they came out with a couple of different things that's fascinating. You guys know me. You know I love brain science. You know I'm kind of a nerd about that kind of stuff. And my hope is that today I'll convert you to being a nerd too. So, um, so this study showed that the average person has between 10,000 and 60,000 thoughts every day. Have you guys heard this before? 10 to 60,000 thoughts every day. So in my home, Grant definitely is towards the 10,000 scale. I'm absolutely, you know, maxing out on the 60,000 scale. Um, and I, I don't think there's enough breath in my lungs, even on a good day, to be able to voice every thought that goes through my mind. 10 to 60,000. And here's some context for you. 86,000 seconds are in one day. So think about it. 10 to 60,000 thoughts a day, and there's 86,000 seconds a day. What does this mean? That your brain is thinking like crazy. I heard a, a person say, your brain secretes thoughts like the body secretes enzymes. Now, if you're not familiar with biology, here's what that means. Enzymes are the protein to help you digest your food. It's constantly happening inside of you. So your brain, whether you want it to or not, is going to be thinking. You have no control over that. That's a healthy, good thing, okay? Here's where it gets interesting. 75% of your thoughts from this study, 75% of the average person's thoughts are actually negative. Interesting, right? 70 to 80%, so we'll just say 75% of the average person's thoughts are negative. And of your thoughts that you have every day, 85% of them are repeated from the day before. They're repetitive. So what does this tell us? This tells us that the average person is sitting in a hamster wheel of the same negative thought patterns day after day after day. Let me give you a second to digest that. I don't know about you, but I know for me, there's, I, don't know that, I don't know what my average would be, but I know there's negative thoughts that happen. Um, negative thoughts are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. This is one of the things that God made us to do to be, um, to analyze situations. Here's an example. You guys familiar with fight or flight? You're in a, a dangerous situation and your body has an internal reaction to fight, flight, or freeze is actually now the updated version of that. And what does this mean? This means in the place of actual negativity, not all negative thoughts are bad, right? You're interacting with someone and they're legitimately a bad person and you're thinking they're a bad person. We could categorize that as negative, but it's not, a, it's not wrong, right? That's a good thing. So not every negative thought is bad. But what happens after we have the negative thought is where it gets really tricky. So what do I mean by this? Unnecessary negative thoughts create imaginary drama inside our minds. I'm not talking about the necessary ones. Some of them are true. We're going to get into that in a minute. But the unnecessary negative thoughts that we have that are repeating themselves day after day after day, all it's doing is creating unnecessary drama in your mind. There was an interesting, in this Ohio State study, there was uh, an example they gave, and it was this, that the thought itself might be valid, but the projection of where the thought goes is where it gets wrong. So the example was, and someone who had gone through a divorce, so um, the example was, the valid thought is, my spouse doesn't love me anymore. The marriage had ended. That's, a, that's true. That's a true but negative thought, right? It's sad, but it's true. Now then, the brain often goes to, therefore, no one will love me. Is that true? No. But this is how our mind works, right? So there's a valid level to our negative thoughts, and then there's this projected craziness, this imaginative drama that we bring ourselves into. So 
I want to talk for a second about how do we identify the negative thoughts that we have so that we can begin to do something about them. Um, there's five kind of basic categories to where our 70 or 70% of our negative thoughts are coming from. And if you're really gutsy and like to do self-introspection, uh, introspection, then you can take this list this week and spend some time charting yours out. I'm, I was actually curious if I went through every thought I was aware of, could I get to, you know, 50,000? I hope not. Um, but the five categories are this, your fears. So a lot of our negative thoughts come out of our fears. The second one is your insecurities. That one might be a little bit more obvious to us. Your losses. A lot of our negative emotion are actually coming and thoughts are coming from what we've actually lost in our lives, whether that be the death of a loved one or, or just the loss of a relationship. Um, number four, things that stress you out regularly. You guys know for me that would be the sound of people eating chips. Um, that one's going on that list. And then number five, things that irritate you about other people. All of a sudden, everybody's adding some negative thoughts right then just by thinking about it. Things that irritate you about other people. So why is this important? I think this helps us begin to understand the spectrum of the thoughts that are in our mind so that we can know what to do with them. So where do thoughts come from? Where are they actually originating from? There's three sources, okay? The first one is God. God actually puts thoughts in your brain. Did you know this? He actually deposits thoughts in your brain. If you have little kids at home, if you've ever done this, it's like, you know, you're putting your kid in your car and you have this thought, I should bring an extra change of clothes. And you don't know why. It doesn't feel normal. It makes no sense. But if you're smart, at least this is what I told myself, then you go get the extra clothes for the kid. And then you find out while you're walking at Target when they douse themselves in chocolate milk or something and they can't stop crying because they're wet, I have an extra pair of clothes in the car. Why? Because God put a thought inside your brain. That's, you know, a silly example, but God actually puts thoughts in our brain when we're being led by the Holy Spirit and also when he's telling us what to think about certain things, which we'll get into in a minute. The second place that our thoughts come from is from the enemy. And I think a lot of us probably know this. I hope you know this. But the enemy definitely sends thoughts our way. Um, if you're familiar with Ephesians, talks about the fiery darts of the enemy. This is what he's doing. He's like shooting thoughts into your brain that did not originate in you. This would be like, I'm going to abandon my family. I'm going to harm myself. Um, I can't take it anymore. I'm out of here. And, and, and it causes all this destruction. Those type of thoughts are often not even you. It's the enemy. And I would say to you today, if there's anybody in here that's struggling with self-harm related thoughts or suicidal thoughts, those are not your thoughts. That is not you thinking that. That is the devil trying to get you to do something to partner with him instead of partnering with what God wants to do. And the third place our thoughts come from is actually from yourself. It's, and here's where it gets tricky. You can have thoughts from yourself, from your spirit, and you also can have thoughts from your flesh. Did you know this? Your spirit is the part of you that's eternal. It's the part of you that wants to please God. It's the part of you that's saying yes to obedience in Jesus, to becoming a disciple. And your flesh is the part that is crucified with Jesus. I heard a pastor say recently that the, the, um, the flesh just because Jesus crucified your flesh doesn't make it applicable. We have to apply that crucifixion to our flesh. And I don't know, you know, you, you don't have to agree with me on this, but I was thinking, I think we need to apply it more than once. When we give our flesh a voice, it's time to re-crucify it. So let's look at Romans. Um, this is Romans chapter 8, verse 6. And this is a scripture that actually talks about the flesh. So listen, you have thoughts 
probably the bulk of these negative thoughts in your mind are being spoken out of your flesh. Now, why is this important? Because your flesh doesn't get a voice in the kingdom. That's what God says. It's not a voice that's going to lead you to good things. So here it says, I highlighted this for you. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So when you let your thoughts come from your flesh, it will lead you to death. Spiritual, emotional, physical, that's how it works. Now, the flesh, the, excuse me, the spirit also has um, thoughts, which is good. We want those thoughts. Those are the ones like, I should spend time with Jesus today. Those are the thoughts like, I'm not doing well. I need to reach out to a friend. And there's tons. That's just one example. Another scripture that's really interesting about this is Proverbs 23, 7. And this one talks about why your thoughts matter. We're going to put this one up here. In the bottom right, you can see there's the translation. Some of these translations are different. So we've got Proverbs. Do we have Proverbs 27? Oh, it's not on there. Okay, what it says is, uh, for as a man thinks, so he is. You guys know this scripture? What does that mean? What you think about is who you are. It's connected. I mean, we could go into a ton of scriptures. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, all the internal stuff is who you are. So we don't want to give our flesh a voice, obviously, but when it gets a voice, we want to know what to do with it. Um, here's a great thought for you. Just because you think it doesn't make it true. So turn to your neighbor and say, just because you think it doesn't make it true. But your thoughts really are important. So are your thoughts sinful? This is a really interesting question. Can your thoughts be sin? Now, most of the time we would categorize sin as the action. But James, and I'm sorry I don't have this scripture for you, but James actually talks about the, the birthplace of sin is in the temptation of the mind. It's in your thoughts. So your thoughts actually are what leads you to sin. It's kind of interesting, right? But our thoughts in and of themselves are not always sinful. So we have thoughts coming from the enemy, telling you to do destructive things for your life. You have thoughts being birthed out of your flesh, telling you to do destructive things in your life, and, and you can deal with those. You can stop those. You can silence them because um, you have power over it. I want to talk for a second about strongholds. And I brought with you guys um, one of my daughter's toys. <clears throat> Sorry, hold on. Now you see me. Now you don't. Um. All right, so I've got these blocks here. Do you guys know, I don't know if you're familiar with what a stronghold is, but a stronghold in the Bible was actually talking about a fortified city. So for our purposes today, I want us to start thinking about a stronghold in your mind like a castle of negative thoughts that have been built. So if you guys are familiar with brain science at all, there are something called neuropathways, which are basically highways of physical matter. Touch your arm, you've just touched physical matter. This, what we're talking about is something tangible you can actually lay hold of. So your brain, what you think about the most, legitimately does become, it's called neuroplasticity, it's fascinating, I can give you studies later if you're interested, but it becomes physical matter. It's basically, think about like a monorail, Hello, puberty. <clears throat> it's like a monorail. It's like something on a track that's just running. So when we build thought processes, this is why the thoughts are repetitive. Then it just gets on there in autopilot. You just keep thinking about how terrible you are every day. You wake up in the morning. Oh, I'm still alive. I still look like this. I still sound like this. And it's bad because it's repeating this cycle. So what's happening is like these strongholds. I'm so sorry about my voice, guys. 
um, they're being built based on how much you think about something. So I take this thought like this, and it says to me, um, let's use this example. I'm, I'm on my own. I'm all alone in my life. You know, if I want anything to happen for me, it's going to be because I go out and get it myself. Nobody has ever really helped me do anything in life. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you guys are going, oh, oh, I know this thought. And we hold it, and we look at it, and we go, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. And then we lay it on our foundation. And then another thought comes around that's similar. You get into church, and you want some help with the Bible study, and the person you reach out to isn't available. Oh, of course. Because if I want something, I'm going to get it myself. And then do you see what I'm saying? And then we keep fortifying and we keep building these strongholds. Now, how easy is this going to be to break down if it's physical matter inside your brain? It's, it, I mean, God, way maker, miracle worker, he's capable. But most of the time, it's going to be because one at a time, we dismantle these thoughts. We choose to say, this is a doozy. This is that my parents never loved me and therefore no one will or whatever is the, one of those big foundational thoughts, right? And we choose to physically grab it and do something with it. The Bible has a lot of interesting stuff to say about strongholds. I want us to look at, um, uh, let's look at 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And I've got this one in two different translations because I think it paints a really good picture. In the ESV, it says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience is complete. This word take, the reason why I circled it is because it's actually a violent term. It's a violent term. Come here, Grant. Your favorite. I know you love being the one on display. Plus, when I don't tell you that it's going to happen. Um, okay, take this from me. Take it from me. Take it. Take it, right? No, I'm not going to let it go. Take it. And you have to violently grab it. That's what it's like when we want these thoughts out of our mind. I won't cry too hard. We'll tape it later. It's fine. Um, but when we want these thoughts out of our mind, we have to violently tear them down. It's, it's an action thing. We don't just sit here and go, I really wish that I could have a better thought life. Good night, everyone. <laughs> right? And we make it our friend, and we lay on it, and we choose to just look at it and make it a piece of art. I could take, like, some of the greenery outside and fancy it up and make it look like living moss or something, and it's still bad thoughts. You guys tracking with me? Let's look at it in the Passion Translation. It says, uh, same verse, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy. I love that that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Let's look at Romans 12 too here. This is the Amplified Translation. Romans 12.2 says, and do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. Is there another part with this or no? Okay, let's do the other translation. Oh, this is the part two of the verse. It says, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself what is the will of God, 
that with that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we do this? We focus. We take action. So Jesus did something interesting in his life. He loved to confront people's thoughts and also their thought processes. Now, I want to tell you guys two stories. They're not on the screen, but in Mark chapter 9, you might be familiar with this story. There was a, a severely demonized boy, and the disciples were ministering to him. He had uh, seizures, and these seizures were not just a regular seizure. They were trying to throw him into lakes and fire, and they were trying to kill him. And this dad is so desperate, and he's going, I need help. And the disciples are praying, and they're not getting any breakthrough. So the disciples bring the boy to Jesus, and Jesus begins to talk to the dad. And he, and he says, you know, what do you want me to do? And the dad says something to the effect of, if you can make him well. And Jesus is, you know, a little salty. He's having a little salty moment. And he's like, if I can make him well. It's not his tone, so that's not how he did it. But he's looking at him, and he's addressing the thought. That's the wrong thought, dude, because I'm God, and I can do everything. And in an instant, this young child is, is healed and made well. I love this story for a number of reasons, but one of them is that Jesus doesn't uh, condemn the dad for having a bad thought. But he also doesn't shy away from saying, this thought is not helping you in your life. A chapter later in Mark chapter, excuse me, a chapter before in Mark chapter 8, um, Jesus is on the boat with the disciples. This is right after they fed the 4,000. And uh, they're getting the boat and the disciples are like, shoot, we had seven baskets. This is my interpretation. We had seven baskets of leftover. Now we have one baguette. There's a bunch of us dudes. We're hungry. This is bad. And, uh, and so they start talking to Jesus, what are we going to do? And uh, Jesus is, I can't even imagine, this is one of my questions to the Lord, like, how do you stay patient in that moment? Because you just saw a miracle that answered what they're mad about right now, right? And so Jesus starts talking to them about the thought process of the world. For example, I'm not going to go all the way into it, but he says, beware of the leaven of, of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees is the idea, it's the systematic idea that God is real, but he's not actively involved in our everyday lives. So Jesus begins to talk to them about their thought process. Listen, dudes, be careful you're not buying into today's cultural accepted norm without going straight to the source to make sure you're right. And then he says, and Bill Johnson words it this way, and I think this is really interesting. He says, what Jesus was rebuking is the fact that the disciples' minds immediately went to what they lacked. They're looking at their bread they don't have. They're forgetting the miracles. They're forgetting the, the provision. And they go immediately to what they lack. And Jesus is rebuking the thought process. In the kingdom, we don't focus on what we lack. We focus on who we have in Jesus. Amen? So he loves to do this, and I'll just tell you, he is confronting your thoughts and your thought processes as well. He's doing this in your life every single day, whether you're aware or not. So I got three steps for you. If you're a note taker, write these down. How are we going to deal with our thoughts? We're going to go, hey, <laughs> so, so bad. The bombed. Um, but it's A-E-A, A-E-A, that's the acronym I got for you guys. The first one is this, awareness. How can you tear down the thought if you don't know what it is? So you got to be aware of what's going on in your mind. For most of us, the thought that you have some maybe 30,000 negative thoughts in your mind every day is news to you. You're like, I do? Really? Because you might not be aware of the thoughts that are running through them. So step one is be aware. The second one is you have to exert effort. If we want to grow in the kingdom, the growth in the kingdom is always through resistance. 
because that's the way it works. When you're building physical muscle, it's through resistance. This is the system God created. We cannot change it. So if we want to grow, we have to put out the effort to rub against our thoughts. We have to violently take them, right? And then the third is action. It's actually saying, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do about this? My whole life I've believed this about myself, that I'm too loud or I'm too whatever or I'm not enough this. So what are you going to do about it? You're going to look at that thought and are you going to leave it there? Or are you going to tear it down and say, I need a different thought in its place? My hope for all of us, because this is the journey we're on. It never ends, just so you know. It never ends. It's not like you get to a place in the kingdom. I mean, are you guys, am I right? Those of you guys that are older than me, some of you guys are like, you're too young to know this for sure. No, they tell me, okay? Um, but it never ends, this process of saying, uh, you know, and I love talking to people who are in, in uh, different seasons of life than me who are still struggling with challenges from their childhood because it never ends. It ends when we take it captive and we replace it with the truth of God. That's how it ends. I'll tell you a personal testimony of mine. I actually wasn't going to share this, but um, the voice is holding up okay, so I will. Um, if, I don't know. This is probably seven or eight years ago. I grew up, I, I had a lot of um, imagine, I, let me. how do I say this? There were some valid negative thoughts, and then where I projected them to go was extraordinary, okay? And uh, so I had been tormenting myself. And I'm sure the enemy was involved in that too, but I've been tormenting myself. And so one of the main thoughts that had been in my mind was this feeling like everything I want in life, I have to get for myself. In other words, there's no one who's going to take care of me. That if I need to be taken care of, it's because I'm going to do it for myself. I'm not saying anybody tried to give me that message. That's just what I internalized. And so here we go where, I don't know, eight years ago or so, Grant and I are driving to Missouri to see my family. And we started talking, and I just unloaded, not at him, at life. And I just thought, my whole life has been an uphill battle. And I don't know if you guys, I mean, that's true. Okay, that's a valid, true thought, if you know my story. Um, but the thing is that I was lamenting about this, and I was telling him, everything I've ever wanted, no one has given it to me. I have to do everything, and I'm just blah, 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 blah. And um, my loving, amazing, affectionate, kind husband listened tenderly, and then he looked at me, and, and I kind of finished, you know, my rant, and he said, ooh, babe, I think you need deliverance. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> wasn't expecting that to come out of your mouth. But I felt the Holy Spirit in that moment saying, he's right. What's happening right now is this, it's like it's torment. You're being tormented by something that was beyond your control as a kid. Here you are as an adult. I was a mother, and I'm still letting this thing run my life. So I had a friend. He's gone to be with Jesus now. Um, but I, I went to him, and I said, I don't know what to do. You know, help me with this. And we, we dealt with some of the roots of that, got it out. And I am telling you, and I am not making this up. When I tell you this story, I cannot access the emotion that that felt like. I've, it's been gone to me for eight years. And it's the craziest thing, but the healing of God comes in and actually changes it when we let him. And there was some inner healing coupled with the deliverance, and there was a lot of work I did to stay free and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot to it. But what I'm telling you is that the stuff that holds us captive, it doesn't have to. Let's go back to our blocks, for example, and I, I want to say it in a different way. So slight tangent, um, 
most of you guys may be aware that, you know, in the, in the heavens, as the Bible tells us, there was a rebellion. Satan, who was Lucifer at the time, the head worshiping angel, he wanted to be the fourth person of the Trinity. And God was like, that's not going to work. And so the he and the third of the angels rebelled and they were cast out. I saw a translation recently that said they were flung out. And I loved that because I used to somehow read that story like there was some kind of epic battle in heaven and it was almost lost. I don't know, guys. That's not true. If you've ever thought that, God is so much bigger than the enemy. It was a no contest situation. He just flung them out. So now we've got Satan and all these principalities and these demons, and this, they were originally angels, and that's what it is. Now, side note for you. They are not able to create. God is the creator. He can create whatever he wants. He can make money out of thin air. He can put a, a coin in a fish's mouth. He can multiply. He can do any of it. The enemy does not have that creative power. Amen? And so he's working on limited resources. So what if, what if the enemy can sow thoughts into your mind and he can get you to develop your own thought processes, to build your own stronghold, and he can convince you of this, and then he can go over here and do it for somebody else, and you're still doing it to yourself. What if? There's only so many of them, and there's a lot of people in the world. <laughs> now, I'm not saying, I mean, sometimes it is the enemy that's tormenting those thoughts, but I tell you this because it's not always that. Sometimes it's the fiery darts of the enemy that we took hold of, and we built a castle out of them. And then now this castle is serving the purposes of the kingdom of darkness. And so you are not able to serve your purposes in God's kingdom. And the way you're going to fix it is by being violent, is by deciding I'm not dealing with this anymore. Whether you can do it in wealth one fell swoop or you have to do piece by piece doesn't matter. It matters that you get rid of it. Amen? So if you're the kind of person who's like, bring it on, you know, I'll do all of it right now, praise God. If you're the kind of person who's going, I'm not even sure I can handle one, praise God. Just take action. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to give you guys a couple of thoughts that I feel like are prevalent in today's world. And then we're going to take some time to just do a little bit of this with the Lord. Because what I think is so important for us is to understand that this is your job. There's a lot of things that are other people's job in your life, right? We're, we live in community because we need people to play roles in our life. But this right here, this right here, this is on you. It is 100% you. And the difference between someone who's going to have freedom and someone who's not is going to be their willingness to deal with this. That's it. God has provided everything you need. All you have to do is be willing. It's, it's honestly that simple, even though it feels a lot more complex than that. So the first thought that I want us to really address, and here's what I'm going to do as I read these. If, if you're like, wow, that's me, make a note in your mind or write it down so that you don't lose that. It's, it's what I shared earlier is I'm on my own. There's nobody taking care of me. There's nobody dealing, you know, helping me get to where I need to go. I'm on my own. The second thought is, I'm not good at the Bible stuff. I don't know how many times people have, have said this, and the thing is that it might not be your strong suit, but when we make a declaration over ourselves, we're basically saying God doesn't think you're capable of knowing him. You might not be a theologian, and that's totally fine. I'm not either, honestly. But we have to decide, okay, God, you've got to deal with that thought. I'm not good at the Bible stuff. 
Um, here's another one that I think a lot of people deal with. God distances himself from me when I mess up. It's the feeling that my actions give him, like, that they, he's directly affected as if he's um, too emotional to handle our sin. That's not true, in case you didn't know. Um, you're, and here's what I think the enemy does with this one. When we mess up, we think, this is like that valid and then projection, we think God's disappointed, so we back up. And then it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because we feel distant from him, not because he moved, but we moved. Might be too much truth for you guys, sorry. Um, here's the next one. I'll never fit in. I'm too weird, too awkward, too rough around the edges. I'll never fit in. Um, the next one is, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. And specifically, I felt like God was highlighting when he has called us to do something, when he's called us to step out to something, most of the time he calls you to a place that you don't have all the skills. But we don't talk about that a lot. And so, you know, in the businesses that we've started, I mean, every single one of them, I think, it's, it's been a matter of having to learn a whole skill set we didn't have or go find the people that have those skills. Have you considered that God may know you don't know and he's got a person to come alongside of you that fills that hole? So I'm not smart enough to put this together. And when we believe that, we actually just don't try. We don't try to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. Um, the last one for today, and of course, there's, this is not an exhaustive list, is no one will ever love me. It could be because of your past, because of your current personality, because of circumstances or things people have said to you. It is mind-blowing how many parents have said stuff like that to their kids. And if you're, and I wasn't going to say this, I feel like the Lord's just putting this on my heart right now, but if that's someone, if that's you, and your parents had said stuff like this to you, this is a great example of what Brandon was talking about this morning. You've got to rip that label off. Because you are so loved, you are so cherished, and you might not be like the other person you've been comparing yourself to all day long, but it doesn't matter because you are so valuable to God. And if he wanted more of that person, he wouldn't have made you. That's the way I like to think about it. He made you because he needs someone like you. So if your parents never told you that or you've never heard the Lord say that for you, today is your day to rip that down and make the decision to replace it with something that is truth in the kingdom. Amen. So what we're going to do for a moment here, and if you're uncomfortable with this, that's fine. You can just hang out for two minutes. Um, but I've got a question up here for you. And it's, Holy Spirit, what do you want to tell me about my thought process? What do you want to tell me? He might have a specific thought he wants to exchange with you today. Let him. Tear it down. I don't want to, th what does it look like? I don't want to think like this anymore. And I make a declaration today, this is what I do, that this is not me and if I know because of discernment or whatever, if I know it's from my flesh or if I know it's from a, a, you know, a demonic thing, then you go for that. I break this off in the name of Jesus. But I don't want to think like this anymore. So, Lord, I give it to you. And I'm asking you, tell me what to think. When my mind starts to wander to this place, tell me what I'm going to put in its place. And that's the action that you do is when it pops up, you exchange it in that moment. Amen? So we're just going to take a moment, um, just be still before the Lord, and, and just listen to him. And if you're hearing something that's negative that is not from God, um, I'm just going to tell you right now. All right, so Holy Spirit, we want you to come and invade our thoughts. We want to be above average in how many, um, in how pure our minds are. We want to walk and embrace the mind of Christ Lord, we believe that um, negative thoughts that are, are shaming, condemning, that are hurtful to us, Lord, that those are not from you. 
And so right now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would highlight what do you want to say about our thought process? And Lord, teach us the thoughts that need to be exchanged in Jesus' name.